0: You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. We, uh, we as a church have been working our way through the book of Ephesians. And along with that, uh, we've been working through our discipleship model, which is called Pathways, which kind of gives us a a picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so on the way out the door when you leave, you can see it up on the wall. And it kind of just gives us a a little bit of a framework um, for what does it mean to follow Jesus and and, kind of helps us do some examining of our lives. And, And so at the beginning of every month, we're picking a different piece of the pie, uh, and we're, we're making that the focus for the month. So last, last me- week's message was on worship, and, uh, and Royce kind of introduced to us, you know, the idea of living lives of worship, and looked in, in, in Romans 1, and, um, and, and gave us this handout, and I hope you guys picked up this handout on the way out uh, yesterday, because this is something that you're meant to take home with you and to really think about uh, if you still want it, you can grab it. Actually, off of the uh, where the where the pathways boxes are, there it's it's laying up on top, and. Um it was really interesting, I uh, had a conversation this week with somebody about these questions. If you guys read these questions, Royce kind of walked through them in his, in his message, and it was really challenging to me, so the, it was questions to identify the idol of counterfeit worship. You know, how do I know if I'm, I'm worshiping other things in my life? And he asked these six questions. Uh, Is there anything more important to me than God? Yes. Does anything absorb my heart and imagination more than God? Yes. Do I seek anything to give me what only God can give me? Yes. Is there anything so central and essential to my life that should I lose it, my life would feel hardly worth living? Yes. Is there anything that has such a controlling position in my heart that I can spend most of my passion and energy, my emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought? Yes. Is there anything that I look at and say in my heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Yes. You know, and, and I read through that list, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm an idol worshiper. Like, I had no idea. Like, you know, when you start to ask those types of questions, you realize how wrong your priorities are in many ways. Was anybody, anybody else want to be honest? It was like right there with me. It was a lot of yeses. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Because that's the, the problem with humanity is we're, we're idol worshipers, right? We, we've always found other things in life outside of God to give us purpose and meaning and, and significance. And so as I, was, as I was reading through that list today and I'm, and I'm studying the book of Ephesians and I'm trying to figure out like, God, what are you trying to say to us as a church? You knew that we would be talking about worship right now. You knew that we'd be in Ephesians 3 right now as we work through it. There's something that you're trying to communicate uh, to us as a, as a church, and so I just had to really wrestle with that. And uh, and one of the things I realized was that Paul in the book of Ephesians is addressing the same. Th- he's dealing with the same issue that we have today of of, of false identity of these other things, right? Identity, the things that, in life that give us purpose and meaning and significance. The, the church in Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, had the exact same problem that we still do today. So Paul is being real intentional in presenting truth to them about who God is, about the amazing work that he's done through Jesus Christ, about who they are now as the, the new church, the Jews and the Gentiles coming together as one new body about this plan that God had to bring all people to himself. So Paul is wrestling with these same issues in that church that we still deal with today. And so he's kind of going to lead the church through this, this idea of, okay, what are the idols that are in your life? What does it look like to repent of those idols? What does it look like to have faith? And then what does obedience look like? And so that's, we, we've used this as a, as a church uh, quite a bit this year. We're saying, okay, we want to see we want to see change happen in our lives, right? Um, we want to see God come in and, and do a work. But many times we will come and we'll we'll do the repentance thing and we'll say, okay, I I messed up, you know, I've I've really I've really effed up my life. There's a lot of problems. I, you know, I don't know what to do. So we'll come to this place of saying, okay, I'm not in I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge, right? I I can't do this thing alone. That's repentance, right? That's humbly coming before God and and believing that uh, that that He's at work. And so when I when I look when I thought about this diagram and I thought about um I thought about these questions, I realized that they really they really coincide with each other. So the first set of questions is uh, how do I identify idols of counterfeit worship? So so if 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 uh, if I want to see change in my life, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to come down here and say, you know, what are the idols that are in my life? It's not hard for us. We all just admitted by reading through those questions that there's some idols there, you know? And we say, okay, I, there's some wrong priorities in my life. I come before God. I, I repent of those. That's where it starts at. It's confessional of getting before our knees and coming and taking communion each week and saying, okay, I, I, I need you, God. I need you to do a work in my life. But then the process continues. It, it's a circle to see change in our life. So from repentance, we work our way over here to faith. And this process Mainly, it's not, it's not solely, but mainly this, this happens through the presentation of truth in your life, of of God's word speaking into your life, of you gospeling one another, of you speaking the truth of God's word into each other's lives. And the second set of questions on this handout was questions to help me remember the gospel. You know, what practical ways can I remind myself of the gospel throughout this week uh, we had a men's breakfast yesterday, and, and we did this section at the men's breakfast. And, uh, and I had to, to, to bail to load some tables for the St. John's Bazaar, but Russell is telling me it was some, some great gospel conversation happened around that, around that table as we presented truth to one another. So, so in the process of seeing change, we go from, okay, there's idols that I repent of to, to faith. This is, the, this is the truth of the gospel down here. Uh, this is the primary purpose of our Sunday morning gathering. As, as we're presenting truth, because we believe it's the truth of God's word that changes us, right? Paul, at the beginning of Ephesians, is going to pray over that group of people that they would have a revelation of the knowledge of him, that their eyes would be open to the, to the, uh, that the, the heart of their eye, the, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to know the hope that they have in, in Christ Jesus. We see change in our life. We see faith through the presentation of God's word through these truths. And, and as elders in the church, the only thing we can really do for you is continue to lead you in this process, continue to present truth in hopes that God will open up your heart and your mind to see the truth, to, to see faith, to see who he is and, and what he has done. And then the last step of the process here is back up here to obedience And then the question said, questions to help us realign our lives to express worship. Since I know God, how in my everyday life do I honor him as God and give thanks to him? And we, and we start to think like that. We start to say, okay, if, if I'm repentant of these idols, I'm going to replace this false identity, this false worship with truth of God's word, that I am his child, that I'm a part of his church, his corporate body that he's using for his glory. He's paid the penalty for my sins. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who, who are in Christ Jesus. I, I have faith in God. But then there's the step of obedience where that has to tangibly play out in our lives in, in some way. And so, in this process here, there's these questions that we ask about realigning our lives, but I also believe that that community is a huge part of this process. That God uses each of us and each other's lives to lead us to this process of obedience, where there's accountability. You know to, to see change in our life there's these real tangible steps that lead up here lead up here to obedience and it's important Hello, it's important for us to work our way all the way around this circle in order to grow in our relationship with God we can't stop at any place we can't just come here and, and be repentant and just land right there and these repentant people we have to continue to seek the truth of god's word we have to continue to be in community we have to continue to do the things right that God is calling us to do as his church and that's how we begin to see change happen in our lives well paul Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, is going to work this process for those people. So remember, he's talking to a specific group of people at a specific group of time that have issues and that problems. He lived with them for three years, you know. He, he knows them really well. He's kept in this close relationship with them, so he's writing them this letter because he wants to see change happen in their lives. He knows that there's a lot of idols, I mean, to them, there's real idols, Artemis, the temple to Artemis, you know, there's, a, there's some major gods that they can actually see that they are worshiping. And Paul's thinking about these people and saying, man, I want you guys to, to know this amazing plan that God has for you. So I'm going to keep articulating the truth over and over and over again to you and hope that I'm going to pray for you, man. He prays at the beginning. He prays at the end of chapter three. God, have your God, open up their hearts that they would know the truth of God's word, right? That's what we want. That's what we want to see happen in our lives because it's God's word that changes us. And we want to lead lives of obedience before God. So what I'm going to do before we jump into this, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray what Paul prayed, that he would open up our hearts and our minds to know the truth of God's word, um, that we would be a a people who can be changed. So if you would uh, join with me in prayer. Uh, Father, we come before you. um, God, believing that you have this amazingly beautiful plan, uh, that, that from the very beginning, uh, you have been You have been at work uh, doing something Lord God. You were at work in the Garden of Eden, Father, you were at work throughout the old testament um, that, uh, that, that plan um, came to fruition in Jesus Christ when he came on this earth, and his blood was spilled for our for our sins uh, and then he, he resurrected Father and and, uh, and after his resurrection, he, he created this, this church, this, this group of people that now gather together. And they're meant to be a, a display of you and of what you've done in Jesus Christ. And, and we want to see that today, Lord God. And so we come before you just confessing our idols, uh, asking that you would open up our hearts to see them. Asking that you would use each of us in relationship together as a family to, to uh, sanctify one another and pointing out those idols that are in our lives, those things that need to change. Um, Father, that you would continue uh, to open up our hearts to see truth in your word, as we're going to do right now, uh, and also that you would, you would continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit to be obedient uh, to work in our lives. So God, we just ask that of you. Uh, we can do that boldly uh, because of what Jesus Christ did. So we ask this in the name of the Son. Amen. So uh, Paul, uh, in, in chapter 3, like I said, he's in prison. He's writing back to these people. He's thinking about them. He's thinking about the lives that they're living. They're not living lives that model that they've actually uh, met Jesus. That's the, after chapter 3, uh, the rest, uh, 4, 5, and 6, are all about real tangible areas of their lives that need to change. There's not unity in the church. Husbands, the way that they love their wives. Children, the way that they obey their parents. Um, the way the servant obeys the master. He's going he's gonna to get into these real tangible things that are going on. But before he does that, he's going to once again articulate to them this plan that God has. He's done it like three times, every chapter in Ephesians so far. He keeps saying the same thing over and over again because he wants them to really, to really get it and to embrace it. So uh, we're going to have the words up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can see it up there. And, and we have Bibles that are free Uh, over in our Connect booth if anybody wants one on the the way out. So uh, in chapter 3, I'm just going to kind of break this down in small sections. and We're going to work our way through uh, this this passage exegetically. So uh, in in 3 verse 1, it says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written, briefly. And it's really interesting because in, in chapter 2, he, he, he gives them this identity. He talks about they used to be dead in their trespasses. They were separated from God. They, had, they were without hope. And then Jesus Christ came to them, right? And he gave them hope and he gave them a new life. And, and then he continues that in the second part of, of chapter 2 and talks about how we were far off from God and we've been brought close to God and we're this new people for God, right? And he says, for this reason all of that that I just said, for this reason. And it it seems like he's about to pray because at the end of chapter three, he he does it again in in verse 14, for this reason. And so he stops before he prays and says, okay, one more time, we're gonna articulate the truth of what God has done because it it hasn't sunk in yet. And so we're gonna do it as a church again. One more time, we're gonna articulate who we are in Christ Jesus. And he says, "For, for this reason, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on you, on you, for you Gentiles. And he's presenting a really good kind of like uh, logical argument of why they should listen to him. He says, hey, I'm not trying to manipulate you guys. I'm not trying to get you to follow me. And by the way, I'm in prison because I preached the gospel to you guys, uh, to, to the Gentiles and the Jews have, have now sent me over to, to Caesar. And now he's in house arrest for like four years because of his preaching of the Gentiles. He says, hey, remember that? Remember why I'm here? Uh, And he says, I'm assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And so it's really interesting language that Paul uses to describe himself. He says that that he is a a steward of of the grace of God, right? It means that he's been entrusted with something, and he's trying to steward that as best as it as it as he possibly can. He's trying to to, to take that. And the word steward would, would be household language, right? Someone that works in a household. And Paul at the end of chapter two has just introduced it in this term of being the household of God. He says that you are, you are the people of God, you're the dwelling place of God, and I'm just a steward in that household serving you guys, right? He's kind of buttering them up. It's kind of a really cool argument. He's kind of just being real gentle in, in his approach of, I'm in prison, I'm a steward of the grace of God that he's, that he's given to me. Um, uh, and he says, uh, I'm a steward of the grace of God that was given to me for you, um, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation as i have written briefly and so the thing that god has stewarded paul with that he's given him responsibility over is this plan that god has of bringing the jews and the gentiles into this one new group of group of people and so he calls it a mystery which is kind of weird right like why would you call a plan that's been revealed a mystery and this isn't the first time Paul's done this. He did it in chapter 1. He's going to do it again in, again in chapter 4. He says that, that God has given me this plan. And this plan is, has been a mystery up, up until this point. But it's been revealed to me, right? I, I, I now see the, the whole picture of what God's doing. Does that make anybody else uneasy? You know, like, I, I've talked to a couple of people about a... About, uh, who are kind of journeying with God, especially here in Portland, where people seem to be pretty open to the idea of, of God. You know, they're, they're all about Jesus and stuff like that. You start talking about Paul, and people don't like that. Because he just, he just made a claim that said, hey, there's been a mystery up until this point, but I've figured it out. And in our, in our, mo- our modern-day sensitivities, we're like, hang on a second, wait. You don't, you don't get to be the revealer of mysteries, I get to reveal my own mysteries, right? You don't get to tell me what truth is. You don't get to determine what truth is for me. This is kind of our postmodern thought that we live in today. And so Paul, Paul is saying, okay, this revelation of, God, of, of, of the mystery has been made to me. And we have to wrestle with that truth of do we actually believe Paul, right? Do you actually believe the thing that he said? A lot of people are cool with Jesus, right? Came to the earth, lived a cool life, Did a lot of really good social justice stuff. But then then you got this guy, Paul. He's kind of egotistical sometimes, a little arrogant. Maybe he's a chauvinist. And we have all these, you know, these criticisms against him. At the foundation of believing God's word, you guys have to believe that God chose certain people to reveal himself to. And Paul was one of those guys that played a very significant part in God revealing his plan, right? Right? And what God did through Paul is so much differently than, I think, some of the people we, comp- we compare Paul to. Like, if some of you guys grew up Mormon, I know the Mormon church is, is big around here. You have Joseph Smith, right? And Joseph Smith had a revelation from the angel Moroni when he was out in the woods. And he got the seven, temp- the seven, uh, the seven plates and all that. If you guys grew up Mormon, you've heard that, right? Of this, well, all of a sudden, this one guy had this revelation. And then you're back in your mind, you're like, hang on, that's it. Paul's saying the exact same thing here. He's saying that all of a sudden he just figured something out, right? Or maybe it's Muhammad. Muhammad, one day the angel Gabriel just shows up to him and reveals to him this amazing truth, this amazing plan. And then he goes and he starts this, this whole other religion. What's the difference between those guys? Like When you approach the scriptures, what's the difference between like Joseph Smith and Paul and, and Muhammad? The difference is is that God used Paul to articulate a plan that he already had. It wasn't a new plan, right? So Paul was very significant in God's story and that God used Paul to connect the dots over history of what God was doing this entire, entire time. So all Paul has got, what, what the revelation is that, Paul, that God made to Paul is, oh my gosh, look what God's been doing since the very beginning. Look what he did in the Garden of Eden. Look what he did to, to Abraham, right? In the, in the very beginning in Eden, God said that he was going to defeat Satan, right? When God formed a people for himself from Abraham, he said from these people, all the nations will be blessed. When God created the law, it was meant to bring us, cl- the, all the people to be close to God, but also show them of their inability to be close to God. This is all part of God's plan and Paul is looking back and he's, and he's saying, wow, like look what God's doing, look at this plan, look at what this means now for us. That's very different from a guy like Joseph Smith that comes around and sticks his head in, the, in a hat and looks at a rock and sees all of these new things. It's like this crazy like, offshoot of the story. Because God has this this plan that he is revealing. And so when we study the scriptures, we look at it in light of the larger plan of God that he has. That's called biblical theology. When we say, okay, there's a story that's going, and we're now stepping into this story. And we don't get to change the story. We just get to be a part of it. It is so important that when we approach the scriptures, we have to do it and say, okay, God, I believe that that you're, you're revealing yourself to Paul. And and I don't know what that looks like. He had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Two other times he actually sees Jesus in some way. But everything that Paul says, I can look and see how it fits into God's larger plan, right? Satan is so subtle in the way that he works that he will try to introduce new things to us, new theology. And we have to constantly go back to God's word and say, okay, does that line up with with what God has been saying this whole time? And we can say that with Paul. So Paul says, Hey, there's this mystery that's been revealed to me. I love you guys. I want you to know this mystery and this, this revelation that I've uh, written about. So here's, he's going to talk about the revelation here. He says in verse 4, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men, well, I'm sorry, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises of Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so he says here that in previous generations, no one understood exactly what I understand today. That's bold, right? He was like, holy cow, like how can he say something like that? He's saying... Guys like, like Moses, guys like Abraham, they couldn't see the whole picture, right? They could only see what had happened up until that point. They didn't know the whole story. No one, no one could have anticipated that God would work in the way that he did, especially when Jesus Christ came to this earth. And, I, and I'll give you guys a, 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 few examples, a few examples. This is kind of what Paul's talking about if the mystery has been revealed to him. Um, the fact that Jesus Christ would come to this earth and he would spill his blood to uh, save the people of God was was unheard of. They thought he would come as a warrior, right? They thought that he was going to come as like like, uh, this this guy riding on a horse with a big sword, and he was going to wipe out the Romans. They knew they were going to be saved, but no one could have thought it was going to happen through Jesus' death. That That was unheard of. Even though God had been giving them hints of that for thousands of years, he had been saying that. But no one connected those dots until now. Until Paul is saying, oh man, that's how, we were set, that's how we were set free from sin. No one could have anticipated that God would set aside the restrictions of the Mosaic Law. You guys, when we walked through the Old Testament last year, uh, we did a year in the Old Testament, the law is how the people became physically close to God, Right? You obey the law, you get to come to God. You get to be with him and you get his protection. You get to be a part of his people. If the, if the law is laid aside, how in the world are they going to get close to God without the law, right? No one could have anticipated that, that he would law, lay the law aside. That, sorry, that, that the law would no longer be the way that they would become close to God. But it would be actually through Jesus Christ that now they would become close to God. The incorporation of the Jews and Gentiles into one body was unheard of, right? For the 2,000 years prior to this moment, the Jews had been a special group of people that God had called for, and they were meant to represent him to the rest of the world. Then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and says, oh, there's no longer two groups of people. There's no longer Jews and Gentiles. There's just one group of people now. They're called Christians. They're, they are my people. That No one could have anticipated that that was going to happen, that God was going to work in that way, but he did. And the other thing that no one could have ever imagined that Paul is talking about here is the physical proximity that people could now have to, to, uh, with God. Right? Remember the temple, the way the temple was set up with all of its walls and its outer court and its inner courts and the, the building in the center, the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies and its different parts with the big curtain. And there was these levels that you had to get through to be close to God. And there was only one person once a year that could actually go in there and physically be close to God. Now, all of a sudden, that's all done away with and people have immediate access to God. That was that was crazy, right? And so Paul is is realizing all of these amazing truths of what's, what is so unique now that's happening in God's plan. And, and this is why I'm really harping on this, is I don't believe that we really, we don't live in a way that shows that we actually believe that. Just like the church at Ephesus didn't believe that. When I look at the way I'm living and I read these questions and I see all these idols in my life, I don't believe that my sins have been forgiven right, then, then why do I have to prove myself all the time? I don't believe that I can be physically intimate and close with God because I allow all my weaknesses my, and my inefficiencies to define me. My sin defines me. My failures define me. I don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe that there's something greater than the law because I try so hard to earn my salvation through being obedient and doing all the right things. That's how I think I'm gonna get saved, Right? So we need to realize that, no, God has, has done this amazing work. And, and it, it has been a mystery up until this point, right? But now it's been open. Let's no longer pretend like this is a mystery. Let's no longer live like we're not sure what God's doing here. He's got a plan. He has something that he's doing. I can't, I can't always see the, the full plan like in my life. I can't always see exactly what God's doing. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been there and that you're like, what in the world is God doing right now? Why this? Why am I struggling with this? Why am I dealing with this? In that way, there's there's a little bit of mystery in my life that that I don't always understand. I don't know if that resonates with any of you guys. But I do believe it's it's God and He's at work and He has a plan. I'm just I'm just gonna be obedient to what He is calling me to do. And I'll let Him kind of unfold this thing in His timing. So Paul says, hey, I'm a steward of this plan. I'm coming here and I want to share it with you guys. It's been a mystery. But all of a sudden, hey, the mystery is over. We are now this this new people. We are the people of God created for Christ Jesus. That was was the plan since the very beginning. And so now he's going to unpack what that means for them. What are the implications of that in verse 7? He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. Some of your Bibles will say servant. According to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of this mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's a mouthful. So he says, of this, this mystery, this plan, he calls it the gospel, right, the truth of God's word, this gospel I was made a, a minister, I was made a servant of according to the gift of God's grace. So after telling these people that they are uh, a, a new people, right, he said that in chapter two, that they are this, this new corporate group of people that God is using to display his, his identity, he tells them that, he tells them that was the plan from the very beginning, right? And then he says, of that plan, we are servants, and that plan is a gift that's been given to us. The fact that God has allowed each of us to come into his family and to be his people is a gift of God's grace. Amen? Right? When I think about my rebellion to God, when I think about my sin, and I say, man, God, you've, you've given me this amazing gift. That's how Paul wants his people to see their salvation. It's a, it's a gift of God, and, and it's this thing that God has said here, that here's this, this pearl, this very precious thing that I want you to, I'm entrusting to you, and I, I want you to do something with this gift. It's not that you're supposed to go and just take it and, and hide it away, but it's a gift that's been entrusted to you. It's a gift of my, of my grace that I'm, that I'm giving to you. And, and Paul is thinking about his own journey with God, and he says, I've been made a, a, a servant of God. I've been given this gift and this was given to me by the working of his power. And you guys know Paul's story, right? He's on the, on the road to Damascus. He's going to kill some more Christians. That's what he did. That was his job. And God shows up to him, and God says, no, I'm going to use you. You're going to be mine, mine now. And Paul is, is thinking about his life, and he's saying, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe that I get to be entrusted with this amazing plan. That, that this, this, this beautiful story that's been going on since the very beginning has now been given to me. And I get to actually go and share that with other people. And, and, and Paul's thinking about his life, and God has worked powerfully in Paul's life, right? I mean, just from his salvation and his conversion. i want to let you guys know that God's worked powerfully in all of our lives. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe in that gift of God's grace, then that's an amazing work that God has done in your life, that he has worked powerfully in your life. It's what are you going to do with that gift that's been entrusted to you? Because our response to thinking about that, and we think that, that, okay, God is, sure, he's he's given me this gift, but, you know, I've been saved, but God is not going to work powerfully in me. Dude, I'm just too screwed up. I've just got too many problems and too many issues. And look how Paul answers that. He knows how his people think, and he says in in uh, in verse eight, "And it this power, this gift, was given to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable rich, riches of Christ." Paul's like, hey. I, I, am the, the, I was the weakest. I was the murderer of Christians, right? And if it's been entrusted to me, then it, then it can be entrusted to you. And God can use you in a powerful way. But I really don't think that we believe that. Because when we think about sharing Christ, right? If we think about telling somebody else about Jesus, we're like, look, I, I just got to get my life straightened out first. And if I can get me good, if I can get my marriage a little better, if I can stop doing this particular sin, you know, maybe if I can stop looking at porn, then I'll, you know, maybe then I'll tell somebody about Jesus. Or if I can treat my wife better, then I'll start telling somebody about Jesus. And that's not how it works. You just have to believe that God wants to use you in a powerful way, the way that he used Paul that it's been this amazing gift that's been entrusted to you because God uses weak and screwed up people for his eternal purposes. Just read the Bible, right? They were messed up people. I feel really good when I read the Bible, right? Guys like Judah, man, he was, he deserved deserved to be in prison, you know? Like, the guy was just messed up. That gives me a lot of hope. And I see the disciples and all their doubting, right? And, all, and they're, they're constant bickering to one another. And they're just a bunch of dumb fishermen. I'm like, man, heck yeah, if God can use them, he, he can use me, okay? He can use me in a powerful way. I just have to repent, right? I have to be in God's word. And then I have to say, okay. I'm going to live life obediently. And that's the way that that, that God is going to use us in his life. So Paul's kind of building them up and saying, hey, God used me. He can use you. And here's what he's going to use you for. Here's what he wants to do with you like he's done with me. He says to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through what? The church, the manifold wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. He didn't say through the preacher that God, the revelation, the manifestation of God would be made known. He said through the church. And what is the church? It's a group of people. It's a group of repentant people who have come before God and said, I'm not the ruler I'm not in control. I want you to use me. And if we can get that into our heads, look what Paul says, if we can believe that God is going to use the church to reveal his manifold wisdom, it will have implications to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's crazy, that that if I can be bold enough to just talk about God and his plan and what he's done in my life, that that has reverberations that extend out of the realm that we live in into the realm of the heavenly places. I even know what that means, but it sounds pretty friggin' cool, right? It, I, and that, right, this is identity. This is who we are in Christ Jesus, right? And, and so many times, I, I, I just allow these idols to define me. I allow these idols to give me my identity. I allow my job and my family, and, you know, my abilities and my accomplishments to give me my identity. So my idol is, 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 is uh, my, my idol here is my identity, right? I'm just worshiping all the wrong things. That's what this handout that Royce gave us was meant to show us. And instead, I have to then identify those idols, living for the wrong things. I replace those idols with the truth of the gospel What are the truths of the gospel? I read Ephesians 3. I say, no, I'm not going to live for my work. Right? No, I'm not going to isolate myself because I believe that God's called us into community. That's what his gospel, that's what the gospel teaches. A new people, a household of God, a group of people gathered together. I'm not a household of one. We are the corporate people of God. And then I'm going to allow those truths of God's word to change the way that I live. And I'm going to begin to see myself as a steward of God's grace. Uh, right? We use the word servant as our identity and our relationship with God. I'm going to see myself as a servant of God. And that's going to lead to a, a, a obedience. And this work will continue to go on in my life. And that's what Paul wants his people to see here. And so in verse 11, he kind of wraps it up here. And he says, This Right, What I just told you, this whole plan that used to be a mystery that's now been revealed to me that I'm sharing with you guys that nobody got until now, that you're this new special group called apart to be together, to be the people of God, forgiven, filled with the Holy Spirit, sent out to accomplish the mission. This was according to the eternal purpose that has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. This was always God's plan. Jesus is the plan. You are a part of the plan. But you have the responsibility to carry out the plan until he returns. That's what he gave us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Right? That's the job that we now have today, this amazing opportunity. And it's all about Jesus Christ. It's always been about Jesus Christ. My job is just to tell others about Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be the church to be the people set aside for God's purposes. And I believe that if we will do that, what we sang about half-heartedly in that song, God of the City, will actually happen. Greater things, you like that, Jim? Greater things are yet to come, right? And it's not gonna happen by me up here trying to put on some big events for you guys to come to or doing backflips across the audience so you can bring all your friends to see. It's gonna happen by our hearts being open to the truth of what God has already done and who we are in Christ Jesus, right? That happens through the teaching of the word. So we're gonna keep teaching the word. We're gonna keep studying the scriptures and we're just gonna wait for God to do the work that he has done individually. And I'm gonna let you guys know, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it in an amazing way in your lives as I'm in community with you and you guys are being a gospel-fluent people and you're telling others about Jesus Christ and you're, you're engaging in your culture and you're inviting those people to home community to meet your, your, the family of God, you know? Husbands and wives are repenting of sin and they're persevering in their marriage because it's through perseverance that God sanctifies us, right? And we're, we're submitting ourselves to God. We're giving, Right? Our, our tithes and our offerings are up. We no longer have a deficit as a church, yet we're smaller as a church than we've ever been. Isn't that crazy? It's because I'm seeing you guys' hearts change. And I'm seeing a people being obedient to God. Be bold, right? Be bold in what you say and what you do. That's what Paul wants his readers to realize, that now that Jesus Christ has come, their sins have been forgiven, they have this, uh, this boldness to them. They have access to God, access in the things they ask for, right? My home community got together last week, and we just interceded for somebody in our group that's that's fallen away from Christ, right? We just sat around, and we boldly proclaimed the truth of God and said, okay, we can ask these things, God, because you said we could. And as a home community, we were bold in our prayers, and we're just going to have to wait and see what God does. And we're not giving up on the relationship. We're pursuing this person because we love him, we care about him. But we, we're, we're getting bold in the things that we ask for because we can. It's changing who we are. And then lastly, he just ends here in verse 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Right? Paul started off saying, hey, I'm in prison for you guys. Right? A little bit of, little bit of guilt trip there. But then he ends it up saying, hey, don't lose heart because this is all a part of God's plan. Right? Which is crazy. Paul literally is sitting at a desk. He has one, maybe he's a lefty, I don't know. He has one arm chained to a Roman guard. He has been chained to that Roman guard for four years. In his little, he had to rent an apartment. They wouldn't even put him up in a hotel. Paul has to rent a little apartment that he has to imprison himself in for four years before he's gonna go and be murdered by the Romans. Possibly. We don't really know how the story ends. And he's saying, hey, don't lose heart, right? Right? That's pretty cool. God's got a plan. This is for his glory. If he can say that, then whatever is going on in our lives, we cannot lose heart over. Right? We can persevere. We can believe that God has a plan. We can believe that he uses us. So that's what I want to see happen in our church. That's what we're going to continue to to do. So right now in our service, we're going to get an opportunity to respond to the truth of God's word. To be a people of uh, uh, active obedience here, we're going to give our tithes and offerings. Uh, We're going to worship. We're going to sing some amazing truths about who God is and about who we are now. And we're going to come to these tables and take communion. So I know a number of you guys are visitors with us. Uh, we would love to invite you to take communion with us as a church. The only requirement that we would ask is that uh, you've professed Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, if, you, if you've professed Him, then you're welcome to come to the table. Take of the bread and, and the body. Remember that your sins have been paid for. Sing songs of a new identity and leave these place as a people changed. Through God's Word. So let's pray. And, uh, and the Christian and Alyssa are going to come lead us in worship. Uh, Father, we come before you uh, just celebrating the truth of who we are. Uh, we are a, a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're this new group of people that you've called together and that you're using to... Um, To call the rest of the world to yourself. It's through the church that the world will know what it means to be a part of your kingdom of God. So, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit to be bold. To be bold as we leave this place. We go into our places of work and our neighborhoods. To be bold in the conversations that we have. To be bold in the way that we love. To be bold in the way that we uh, confess our sins to one another. To be bold in the way that we worship uh, God. I pray you continue to open up our true sinny idols that we have that through the teaching of your word, they would be broken down through community. You would break down those idols and, uh, and you would replace them with the, this new identity we have as, as your servants drawing to you as a, as a family growing together in our love and our relationship with one another and as ambassadors uh, going out to this world uh, to represent your kingdom. So we ask this in the name of the Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at